Yo, hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World, the voice AI and conversational AI and NLP podcast that dives into the ins and outs of all of those technologies and use cases and how it's igniting and improving customer experience. We find the brightest minds and the best, most innovative companies in the voice and conversational AI space, and we pick their brains about how they do what they do so that you can do what you do better and make better strategic decisions and improve customer experience at your organization thank you for joining us if this is your first time joining us uh, thank you for joining us if it's your second third or fourth time joining us and thank you for joining us if you've been tuning in for the whole time over the last four years or more so we've been doing this uh, i'd like to welcome and introduce our presenting sponsor for this episode of the world it is Deepgram. so Deepgram are a, a technology company they provide automatic speech recognition technologies and companies all over the world are utilizing Deepgram for voice bots in all kinds of different environments we're going to be talking about some areas where you could potentially use Deepgram today actually in this conversation we're going to have today um it's been used in contact centers it's been used for transcription not just of uh, customer utterances in a voice environment, but also for general transcriptions, for meeting rooms, for a whole manner of other things. Uh, and literally businesses have been uh, being built on top of it. It's absolutely immense stuff. It has uh, 90% accuracy in some cases. You can retrain the speech recognition as well to make it specific for your domain and for your use cases. Uh, and it is it is very cost-effective compared to some of the major players out there. So do check out uh, Deepgram. Visit uh, deepgram.com forward slash VUX world if you want to check it out. And one thing I always say, uh, the the team at Deepgram will actually benchmark the Deepgram technologies uh, against the major providers and the other vendors you might be looking at uh, and give you a genuine, you know, first-hand appraisal of how it performs uh, in comparison. So do check out deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. Shout out to Karen. Karen Skates, who's joining on LinkedIn. Always a pleasure, Kane. Karen, it is always a pleasure. And it is always a pleasure having uh, Soundhound on this show. And because Soundhound, for those who don't know, and I'm sure that plenty of you do know of Soundhound and Houndify, because if you've been following this show uh, uh, often for the last few years, you will know that I, I often drop the Soundhound name in general discussion as examples of leading voice AI platform providers. And today is the third time we've had Soundhound on the podcast. And today I am joined by the Director of Business Development, Darren Clark. Darren, welcome to VUX World. Thanks, Kane. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So what what I do, and I think I say I say I do, it's only happened once and I'm yet to actually follow through on it. But <laughs> usually uh, the thing is when people uh, join VUX World for the third time, the hat trick, to celebrate the hat trick which is a soccer reference for those people in the u.s who might not be familiar a hat trick is when a football player scores three goals and to celebrate the hat trick which is three podcast appearances i send the guest a vux world hat which i don't actually have with me it is down there but i won't rush off and leave you on your own Uh, and so the only guest who's ever been on vux world three times is frank schneider from speakeasy ai i kind of need to get that list up a little bit <clears throat> Excuse me. So that it so that it warrants me getting another batch of caps done, uh, and so I think that Soundhound, given that Soundhound are here for the third time on VUX World to say thank you for your support, I will do a batch of new caps and uh, every Soundhound guest, including Karen, because Karen is an absolute legend who facilitates and organises all this kind of stuff. And uh, so I will do when I do the next batch of caps, the Soundhound team will have one of those on your doorstep. 
<laughs> in fact, sounds great. In fact, Michael and our team might actually just drop it off because we were just saying that you're actually just round the corner in, in, in Southern California, Laguna Hills, in a minute. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, real close to Michael. Nice, nice. Uh, well, welcome. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate appreciate you joining us. Appreciate you spending the time with us. Uh, we're going to talk about today a topic that has been one of those topics that is uh, something I've been wanting to get into for a while. It's a little bit like uh, I see. I saw this diagram uh, a few days ago. It's called the Dunning Kruger effect. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. The Dunning Kruger. I have, effect. but I can't think of exactly where <laughs> the contacts. So, so, so for those who haven't heard of it, um, and for those listening on the podcast, essentially what it is, 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 is it's just kind of like scale. And it says that when you first start, so confidence is on the vertical axis and competence is on the horizontal axis. And it says that when you first start learning about something new, your confidence increases dramatically, but you're early on in the competence phase. All right. So your confidence increases, but your competence doesn't. And then when you scratch the surface, you start to peel back the layers of the onion. You realize that actually you don't know anything about a topic and therefore your confidence drops. But as you're learning, your confidence, your competence starts to increase, you see. And then ideally, you kind of go up a steady kind of trajectory where your competence increases and your confidence increases. And I feel like I go through that cycle all the time with every single element of voice technology and wake word detection. I think I'm probably at the very early stages of just building enough confidence to be able to, you know, accurately and confidently and competently talk about it. But I know for a fact that in this conversation, I'm probably going to reach that point where I realize I know absolutely nothing about it. <laughs> so, so, so there we go. So Darren, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about your role as, as director of business development at SoundHound and, and how you got to SoundHound and a bit about yourself and your, and your career experience and what you do at SoundHound. Sure, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I'm a director of business development at SoundHound. Um, I, I more or less focus almost exclusively on our non-automotive partnerships. So if you're familiar with SoundHound, we have a number of automotive brands that we work with um, for voice assistant technology. And um, I have a couple of colleagues that almost exclusively focus on our partnerships with those companies. I work on more or less everything else. And for us at SoundHound, that includes um, smart home smart home and IoT partners, um, mobile app providers, um, financial services providers, um, some of our restaurant initiatives, and then kind of a, a number of things that just more or less fall through the cracks. So anything else that uh, doesn't really fit into the automotive marketplace uh, really kind of uh, ends up with me. Um, I've been working in the voice space for uh, over 13 years now. So I started. Um, back in 2008 with a company called Vlingo. Um, we did uh, speech recognition in the cloud, one of the first companies to do that. Um, and uh, we were acquired by Nuance in 2012. I worked at Nuance for two years um, and left there in 2014. and went to Sensory. Um, Sensory also is in the voice space, uh, working on um, wake-up words as well as embedded speech technologies. Uh, and then I, I moved to SoundHound in 2018, um, and I've been here for a little over three and a half years at this point. Um, as I said, focusing on um, some of those non-automotive partnerships, uh, companies like Pandora and Snap and um, Vizio and MasterCard and Deutsche Telekom um, all kind of fall under under my umbrella of companies that I work with and uh, our partnerships that I manage. 
Interesting. So you you are one of the, uh, I would say, few select group of uh, veteran speech technology and voice technology <laughs> folks who've been to everyone. Who, there's a lot of people who, who have been at Nuance at some point. <clears throat> and, <Yeah. laughs> uh, and I think that's kind of like the pedigree, isn't it? The the if you if you've been involved in nuance over the last sort of twenty years, it's kind of like uh, yeah, it was the place to be at one point. Yeah, in in almost all cases, there lots of us have worked at nuance. But uh, if we haven't worked at nuance, we've almost all competed against nuance um, <laughs> or you know one of their divisions or offshoots. Um, so uh, yeah, we're we're all uh, very familiar with with uh, the company and and you know obviously now with the uh, with the spinoff of Serence, uh, focusing on the automotive market for them, and then the nuance acquisition by Microsoft, um, you know things are changing quite rapidly in the speech world. It's been it's been quite a ride to to deal with it since the, like I said, the early days in t- 2008 before Siri and before obviously Alexa or, or Google Assistant or any of those products. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting space, and and obviously now that kind of Microsoft have acquired Nuance, it'll be interesting to see see how that kind of stuff goes. They 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 obviously the spin off of Seren. Seren's now looking at automotive. We know the Soundhound have got an interest in a, and a good uh, market share in the automotive assistant space. Um, the other examples you mentioned though. You know, in app assistance, I know that the MasterCard restaurant thing, that was a drive-through uh, platform. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of other areas where this technology is, is being applied. In-car yep. seems to be a, a, an obvious place for the topic of today, which is wake word detection. Um, but obviously, you've got you've got the same that applies in all of these other, other areas. How common would you say... At this moment in time, the requirement for a wake word is in the in the voice assistant and, and voice AI space. Um, it's it's becoming almost uh, almost essential across all of the uh, environments. I think that you know what we're seeing w- with regard to wake words. Uh, you know, historically, it hasn't been used very often in the car environment. There's always a push to talk on the steering wheel. There's a button that people would use to invoke their voice assistant, and um, that was. Uh, deemed to be sufficient for a long time. Now there's definitely a push in automobiles to add wake words um, in order to enable uh, maybe not the driver to invoke the voice assistant and to do something, change the radio station or uh, something along those lines. So, um, so that's becoming much more ubiquitous across uh, across the automotive industry, but also particularly as you're moving into a post-COVID world. You know, people don't want to press buttons for any reason. Um, so, in a lot of cases, it's just becoming a much more accepted interaction. I think also clearly with the um, <clears throat> with the uh, echo speakers, you know, people just got much more used to speaking to devices and expecting them to respond well and and then do something, whatever that something may be. Um, but we've seen it, you know, moving. Obviously, it's been in, in mobile phones for a while and tablets, uh, but that smart speaker, uh, I guess, engagement model and expecting that this device that's on the other side of the room is going to respond to my voice command has really kind of accelerated that requirement to have that uh, as a as a functionality across any number of different products and verticals. Mm, it's interesting because it's it's the one thing that it's got 
it's obviously got practical application, and maybe we should maybe we should define what that what, what it is when we're talking about for those who are who may, who may be uh, relatively new to the space. It's got practical application, but there's also a little bit of sizzle to it as well, isn't there? You know the whole mm-hmm. concept of don't sell the sausage, sell the sizzle, and the the thing that's <laughs> exciting. There's a, there's a little bit of it. Would you agree? There's a, there's, a, there's obviously real practical utility, but there's also something mm-hmm. really cool about having your own wake word. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And it's something that I think uh, you know. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Amazon really um, really accelerated. Like I said, that that feeling that you know, I want to name my device and people are going to talk to my device and, it, and it's going to be uh, going to have a little bit of that cool factor associated with it, um, with that wake word that's going to wake up the device to, to do something um, and, and mm-hmm. to uh, to accomplish a task or, or um, get information, be productive, whatever it may be. Mm. What do you, what do you think that the, is there a correct term? I always say wake word. I noticed you say wake up word. You said wake up word. And we had uh, Joe Iacobelli from Serence on uh, a few weeks back. He kept saying wake up word. Is mm-hmm. there a standardized term for this? Or as long as it's got the word wake in there, does it matter? It doesn't really matter. Most people know what you're talking about, but you're right. P- people refer to it as different things. So uh, we typically talk about it as a wake word. Serence talks about it as a wake up word. Sensory talks about it as a voice trigger. Um, you, you know, there's just lots of different ways to describe it. There hasn't been anything that's kind of uh, been uh, been settled on as the, the uh, accepted industry term. Uh, but I think functionally, all of those things are interchangeable and people really kind of understand what you're talking about when you talk about a wake word or a wake up word or a voice trigger or something along those lines. Mm, it's interesting how the terminology kind of it diverges, doesn't it? I mean, like even things like Amazon will call it call an entity. What, what a lot of people would know as an entity, would Amazon call it a slot? Google in some areas call it parameters. Uh, mm-hmm. Some NLUs call it entities, but they all mean the exact same thing. Uh, it's yep. just, I suppose, a quirk of the of the language, I suppose. Um, yeah. So, so define then what is it that we what is it that that we're talking about when we're talking about wake words? What is the uh, obviously when you say a phrase, it wakes up an assistant and starts listening? Is is the general mm-hmm. concept? But um, what is it that's kind of needed in order to make that thing happen if you're a brand listening to this and you think it would be nice and to have a you know hey brand as part of a way of invoking your voice assistant in your mobile app for argument's sake mm-hmm. how, what is it that goes into doing something like that sure yeah so it, it, there's a couple of components to it so um, what you have is you have a, a wake word engine so this is you know in in soundhound's case our proprietary technology um, that essentially resides locally on the device and, and it sits on the device. It's not happening in the cloud. Um, it, it's, um, it's listening to the audio that's going on around them and it's waiting for um, you know, pre- precise phonetics of a certain word or phrase that it will respond to. So that is called the model. You train the model for whatever your phrase is. Hey, Pandora, hey, Mercedes, you know, those types of, uh, of, of phrases that you want the device to then start listening. So this, the device, it's, it's not recording. It's not transcribing the audio that's coming in or anything along those lines. It's simply listening for the phonetic properties of the wake word model that it has been trained to listen for. Um, and then, as you said, once it's heard, once that, that, audio, um, that audio phrase has been heard, 
then the device does something. Uh, it wakes up, starts listening for a local command, uh, starts streaming audio up to the cloud to, to do something in the cloud with that audio, you know, something along those lines. But, but functionally, as I said, it, it resides locally. There's more or less two components. There's the core engine, and then there's the wakeward model. And so you can think about the model, you know, you can kind of strip out models and add a new model if you want to change what your wakeward is, or um, you want to have multiple models, you want to be able to listen for Alexa and Hey Brand. Um, you know, you can do both of those things uh, with, with one engine. Um, but, but generally speaking, there's those two components that go into it. Um, mm. when, it, when it comes to creating those, you know, there's a process that, um, that we go through, and I, I happen to know it's, it's the same or, or very similar to what our competitors do, where um, you go out and you, you collect data. So basically, you collect um, recordings of individuals speaking that wake phrase. Um, you know, the number of recordings varies. There's, there's different rules that, that we might have versus some of our competitors, but generally, it's in the few hundreds of people um, that record the wake phrase a few, you know, maybe 10, 12, 15, 20 times each. And you really are going for, you know, a broad demographic swath. So you want uh, different genders, different age, um, you know, different accents, particularly for areas like the U.S. or other areas where there's lots of uh, varying accents across the country. Um, and you obviously want it to be language specific. So you want native speakers um, that are in that language. You get that data. You take that data back and then, um, you know, our team will essentially train the model. So we, we take all of the, as I said, phonetic properties of that phrase. We understand the different acoustics that go into each of the words that are part of that phrase, how those um, acoustics kind of blend together into the pronunciation of the word or the phrase. And we create a model that then um, can accurately respond when that word or phrase is pulled out of, you know, everyday conversation or background noise or anything along those lines. Um, so mm -hmm. it's a it's a relatively intense process. I mean, for functionality that a lot of us take for granted, you know, particularly if we have Amazon devices or Google devices in the home, or even using you know Siri on your phone or or um, you know Hey Pandora on your mobile app or things like that, um, it's like a simple uh, a simple thing. But it, it, it's something that um, really does take some time, it takes some expertise, particularly to do well. Um, and mm -hmm. it's critical that you don't have lots of false acceptances where um, it here's something that it thinks is the actual wake word and starts listening, or you don't have false rejections where people are saying the wake word and the device for whatever reason, or the application is not waking up and not doing what the, the user wants. Both of those obviously lead to significant customer dissatisfaction and, and they're things that are critical to, to really um, uh, train against in most cases. Mm. Interesting. That's a really good overview of the whole of the whole concept. I appreciate that. Starting at the that beginning point of this um <clears throat> the wake word engine. I know that you mentioned there's some secret sauce and there's some patents and all that kind of stuff, so I don't know whether this question is treading into that territory, but I always envisage it or think about it working a little bit like a speed camera or like a dash cam, which is that because because that one of one of the I suppose one of the um misunderstandings correct me if it's not a misunderstanding i believe it's a misunderstanding that people have is that they are the skeptics or cynics or what if you would call them laggards or the people who are generally not interested in voice technology one of the things that they uh, would believe is that the device is listening to me the whole time and and this you know the the example I, I always like to use is that a lot of people think that Jeff Bezos when he was you know CEO of Amazon is just sitting on his yacht and just listening to everyone's audio just listening into people's houses wondering what's going on 
And so there's yeah. this like or sitting in space. Yeah, or sitting in space, just like yeah, listening in to what's happening at a random house on Earth. Um, yeah. So, so there's that kind of like the, the, for the people who are later on in their adoption of this technology, there's that perception that these things are listening to us all the time, um, mm-hmm. and it kind of there's something needs to be listening to some degree somewhere in order for a wake word to have any effect. So, is it like I think it is, which is a bit like a dash cam where it's kind of constantly recording footage, but it only actually does anything with it when something happens? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good analogy for how it works. And you can think about it, you know, with a with a radar gun. Now, that radar gun can be used by a police officer for cars. It can be used by a baseball scout for a pitcher to see how fast they're throwing a ball. It can be used by, you know, golfer to see how how fast and how hard they're hitting the ball. And the, the, the radar gun doesn't really care. It's pointing in some direction. It's waiting for something to move through the frame and it uses mathematics to determine how fast that thing was going. Um, and it doesn't really matter. It's not recording everything that's happening all the time. It's not trying to do that. It's just waiting till it sees that object that goes through. And conceptually, I, I do think you've, you've come upon a really good analogy here because Conceptually, it's the same thing that the wake word. The audio is being passed into the microphone, but it's not being recorded. It's not being, like I said, transcribed. It's not a transcription going on, waiting to you know, go through all of the words that a person has said and then saying, oh, there they said Alexa, so now we're going to move on and try and do something with it. It's just literally listening to the acoustic properties of the, of the, the audio that's coming into it. And then once it matches with what it's looking for, um, then boom, you can go ahead and, and start doing something after it. I, I, you know, maybe another example is, is a, you know, fingerprint technology or something like that. It's just looking at the, the whirls and swirls in, in a fingerprint, trying to determine as it goes through its database of other ones, is it the same as this one? Once it gets a match, then, you know, it lights up and tells the person that's looking at those fingerprints, this is the match there. But it, it's not doing anything nefarious. It's not streaming the audio up to the cloud. It's not even recording. It's not even um, taking the audio in and, and having a, a, a recording of it locally on the device. It's it's passing through the microphone as it tries to uh, tries to determine if somebody has has spoken the phrase that it's that is specifically listening for. Interesting. So it's not actually then using automatic speech recognition. It's not Mm-mm. listening for words. It's actually listening for the sound of something. Correct. Yep. Exactly right. Right. Interesting. Okay. That that changes things then. So so what it's doing is it's essentially yeah, it's just listening for when it for when. It, so I suppose that's why then um, sometimes when Alexa will trigger itself mm-hmm. randomly because you've said something like, I bet you, yeah, I bet you, I bet you yeah. I can run over there faster than you. And it thinks it's heard <laughs> Alexa because it sounds similar. And yep. so that's basically yep. what's going on. Yep. Exactly. Right. Um, and I, and you know, there's, there's always going to be words or freight. Well, maybe not always like change the way I say that, but there can be words or phrases that are close enough to whatever your wake word is that might cause, um, uh, consistent false acceptances where it thinks it's heard that and it, it actually was not what they said. And that's mm. part of developing a good wake word phrase, you know, looking for phrases or words that wouldn't particularly um, match a lot of other phrases in the, in the, in the language, you know, the target language. Uh, mm. And it's part of what, what we provide as a service where 
if you have some different ideas for the different weight phrases that you want to have, the specific word or phrase that you want to use to train the model, we can provide guidance on ones where we think that you would find uh, less false acceptances or, or, or more false acceptances just based on uh, how similar they are to other words or phrases in the language. Right. That's interesting. So, all right. So, 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 so you would compare potential wake words with other similar sounding words and phrases. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And just think about, we have a way to look at, you know, the language as a whole and say, well, um, you know, Alexa was one that, that Amazon selected and, and, uh, uh, like you said, there's there's lots of phrases that are close, but generally speaking, it's a pretty good is a pretty good wake word. You you really want you know some phonetic variation in the phrase. You don't want a lot of the same sounds kind of repeated or something like that. Um, you know, lots of uh, differentiation between consonants and vowels um, in order to um, to to really create that a different sound than, than other words or phrases in the language. So, um, you know, there's, there's a way that we can actually look at any specific wake phrase and say, well, this one doesn't have quite as much phonetic variation, or this one has a lot of phonetic variation, but it's also a, uh, similar to other phrases that are pretty common in the language. So, you know, this is the one that we would recommend, or this is the one that we would definitely not recommend for various reasons. Mm, interesting. It sounds to me a little bit like, um, sounds to me as if it works a little it's, it's almost like naming a dog because <laughs> have you got a dog darren or not yeah, yeah you do, do. so yeah. i don't know if you went through this process when when we were looking at getting a dog and we were looking at like dog names and stuff like that i remember reading that the best kind of dog names are names that have like a, a long build-up and a sharp finish because dogs haven't got a clue what you're saying. They're just listening for sounds, basically. <laughs> and the easiest sound for a dog to recognize, apparently, is something with a long build-up and a sharp finish, something like Winston. So it's like open and shut then and down. So that's why that's we called him, that's not why we called him Winston, but it's, it kind of fits into that kind of phrase, that, that sort of like mm-hmm. um, that methodology. It sounds as though it's it's almost like a similar kind of, a similar methodology where, where you're trying to create something that is audibly recognizable that the dog is not going to get caught. So for a dog, you can't call a dog Bo. Well, you can actually, mm-hmm. actually. I know someone whose dog's called Bo. Shout out to uh, Jen Heap at Vixen Labs. Her dog's called Bo. Uh, so I actually, and Bo's a cool dog. Um, but I suppose from Bo's perspective, he might think that sometimes you might be saying no. Mm-hmm. Or if you call a dog, um, I don't know, can't even think of another example. Um I don't know. Bo's, Bo's probably the best example I can think of. Or, 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 or Bray or something like that. You're going to get confused with stay or lay. Mm-hmm. You know, if you call yeah. the dog pit, it's going to get confused with sit. And so, yep. so, so is, is that the same kind of thing is where you, you're trying to find something that is audibly unique that can't really be mis, mistook for something else? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we have one dog and, and we were actually looking to try and find another dog and we've been talking about dog names. And so one of the things that we're talking about is, well, we, we need a name that's different enough from our current dog's name, who is Fiona. Um, we And we call her Fiona or Fifi or something like that. I don't call her Fifi, my wife and daughter do, but um, we, uh, you know, we want something that's different enough from that name that there won't be confusion. If we're calling one versus the other or uh, you know, reprimanding one versus the other. We don't want uh, we don't want one confused as to who's being spoken to and who's being commanded to do something. So uh, similarly, when you when you 
create a wake phrase, you're essentially waking up that device. You're speaking to uh, to command that device to do something, and so you really want it to uh, you want it to really have a good understanding when you're speaking to it versus speaking to somebody else in the room or speaking about it or anything along those lines. Mm. So, so if we were to say that the best practice for creating wake word detection uh, or uh, the best practice for creating a wake word, mm-hmm. the things we've mentioned so far is, is um, audibly unique and that doesn't mm-hmm. conflict with other similar words like mm-hmm. pit and sit uh, mm-hmm. for, for the dog. Uh, we've got something that uh, doesn't have, you, you mentioned something to do with vowels and conflicts between vowels, was it? Yeah, you you just want some variation, some phonetic variation between between your vowels and consonants. You don't want a lot of the same sounds repeated. Um, you know, uh, abracadabra would actually be a, a pretty decent one just because it's long enough. But you know, something yeah. that has a lot of those similar phonetic uh, similar phonetic sounds in it, if they're shorter, could be um, could cause some problems with it. Um, you know, so like we typically so rec- Santa wouldn't want a voice assistant called ho 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 then. Is that exactly right. That's a that's right. a great example. Yep, yep. And um, you know, we we do historically we used to recommend four to five syllables, um, just because the longer it is, the, the the easier it is to differentiate between other mm. similar sounding words or phrases. Um, obviously, when Amazon launched Alexa, they really kind of pushed the envelope one syllable down, and now really kind of three syllables is is the least you want. Anything that's two right. syllables you're just going to run into a lot of false acceptances. It's just going to, um, there's too many other words that will sound like it, no matter how phonetically varied. You can't really get very phonetically varied in two syllables. So mm. you're just going to run into things that, that cause problems. Um, you know, so if, if you're a, if you're a brand that, that only has a, a two syllable name in, in most cases, you can add a, Hey, or a hello or an okay at the beginning in order to, to get to that three syllables and, and make sure you get that that phonetic variation in the in the phrase interesting that's a little bit of insider information so that's why the google assistant wake word is hey google or okay google yeah exactly right it's it, there's there's two reasons for that there's that aspect to get the three syllables and there's also the other aspect as i said you know you want to be able to differentiate when people are talking to the device versus when they're talking about the device so, um, right. you know, if, if, uh, if the phrase was just Google, then our assistants would be going off all the time because how many, how often do you say, oh, well, just Google it to see what they say, or I need to go Google that thing. And, and so every time you said that, uh, it would be, uh, you're talking about the, the thing. Um, but it's also why Amazon, they're called Echo. You know, we, yeah. everybody refers to them as an Alexa device because that's the voice assistant, but the devices are actually called an Echo, but they didn't, um, they didn't actually create the wake word as Hey Echo or something like that. They wanted to differentiate the device from the voice assistant brand. So there's various ways to do that. And, um, you know, like I said, adding that extra syllable with a, with a Hey or an okay or something at the front of it can be a benefit to, uh, to, to that brand aspect to it. You, you maintain that brand, but you, you get that differentiation between when somebody's talking to it versus when somebody's talking about it. Interesting. That is such a good insight. It, I always thought that it was just because they're, they're kind of trying to be cool and trendy. Hey, <laughs> hey, Spotify, you know, like, hey, yeah. hey, Google, if they're trying yeah, to be yeah. kind of trendy, but yeah, there's a practical reason for it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, I mean, Spotify is a long enough word, but just having a wake word that's Spotify 
I mean, how many times do you talk about, you know, my Spotify playlist or, you know, I was mm-hmm. listening to it on Spotify or things like that. Um, you know, you don't want the device or the application in that case, either one, because they obviously have a device as well. Um, you don't want it to wake up every time you say that. You want it to only wake up when you're actually talking to it to try and accomplish a task, you know, in that case, play music or, or um, you know, a playlist or something like that. Mm, interesting. So we've got something that's audibly different, something that's not too short, something that is probably not too long. Is 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 there a length, maximum length? There there really isn't a maximum length, but you know, for user experience reasons, you wouldn't want it to be too long. You, you don't want a um, abracadabra hocus pocus turn me on, you know, something crazy like that, because nobody wants to say that every time they want to do something to the device. So from a user experience perspective, you don't want it too long. Uh, you know, I guess there's problems with abracadabra, hocus pocus, you know, if somebody stumbles over the phrase, maybe it doesn't work Mm. as well, but just generally from a user experience perspective, you don't want it to be too long because nobody wants to, to, to have to speak, you know, 10 syllables just to wake up their device. Yeah, that's very true. Easy, easier, easier to forget as well if it's too long. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so so we've got so we've got something that's ought to be different, something that's not too long, something that's probably at least three syllables, um, something that if it's a brand name and there is something that can be differentiated between the thing and the assistant itself. So if it's a brand name, add in something like a prefix or something like that. Is there any other kind of like common best practices that you would advise uh, brands thinking about this stuff to consider? Um, not not necessarily. I mean. Depending on where you're deploying your voice assistant, um, you can think about um, uh, other languages, you know, native speakers in other languages trying to speak a phrase. Uh, You know, obviously other languages uh, might have different uh, sounds that are encompassed within their language. And so if this voice assistant is going to be deployed worldwide, um, you can you can bring those into the thought process of creating that wake word. I mean, obviously here in the U.S., um, you know, there's certain words or phrases that uh, that uh, people who are native Mandarin speakers can't speak as well just because the sounds uh, don't have the same properties in their language that they do in ours. Similarly, we don't have a lot of the same properties of, you know, German or, or other Eastern European languages that have mm-hmm. some uh, some other properties that would make it difficult for us to consistently say a phrase in order to wake up the device. That, that's that's more of a, um, I guess, maybe a superficial consideration, not superficial, but um, but it, it's not maybe as critical uh, in terms of uh, of considering that it's something that you want to factor in, but it's probably not the most important factor, I guess, is the way I would say it. Mm, interesting. And, and so so that's the best practice. That's really useful. Is there any is there any device that any device we mentioned a few at the very top of the show you said that you know cars mobile you mentioned like out of home situations like potentially like kiosks and people don't want to touch buttons and stuff like that is there any limitations to the actual device type that a wake word can exist on or can it exist on any type of device I mean, conceptually, it can exist on any type of device. Um, you know, there's environments that are uh, make it more challenging. You know, we're, we're getting better um, every day at, at recognizing in noisy environments. But, you know, if, if you're working on the airplane t- tarmac, it's, it's going to be a little bit difficult. Um, we're also getting better at um, using uh, less power, less processing power or, or um, those types of things. But historically, things like a, a smart earbud, to have it in an always listening mode 
um, it, it does drain battery. How much battery? There's lots of variables that go into determining how much battery it's draining. Um, but you know, historically, like I said, there were some some difficulties with uh, with very low power types of devices. Um, but you know, generally speaking, it, it can be deployed. They can be deployed anywhere. There are also other aspects that that you kind of factor in. You know, if you're talking about children's devices, you know, a, a children's toy or something like that. Um, children do have a very different uh, uh, speaking property. So especially as you move younger, you know, six to eight, you know, uh, and above, it's probably for the most part, okay. But particularly for very young children um, in their development cycle, as they're learning the language, they often speak phrases very differently. They have um, different tones, uh, typically a little bit higher, but there's also some variation across children. So it can be challenging to create wake words that, consistently and accurately respond well for children. Um, you know, there's also the aspect of training the child, like how to work with the device. Like you, it does help if you're speaking at the device, you know, if I'm in the corner speaking to the wall, then uh, the device on the other side of the room maybe have, might have a little bit more trouble actually recognizing the wake word. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've been working in, in an industry where wake words have been part of it for, you know, as I said, a number of years now, 13 years, and all of those things are, you know, orders of magnitude better than where they were, not just 13 years ago, but even three years ago. Um, they're all getting, they're all improving significantly year over year in terms of being able to recognize for children and very noisy environments with lower power devices, any of those types of things. So, you know, as we continue to evolve this space of voice assistance and voice technology. I expect that the majority of those, um, those concerns or constraints in some ways will, uh, will, you know, be alleviated. They'll, they'll, they'll be taken care of. People are figuring out ways to address those. Mm, that makes sense. I can see how, um, <clears throat> how noisy environments would be a challenge because you've got a lot of, you're trying to pick out a phonetic pattern but then there's a, a lot of masking that will happen with other noises in the environment and all that kind of stuff. Like what, what's an example of, um, I imagine the MasterCard situation, the drive-through example, that must've been a bit of a challenge, was it, in terms of the the model perspective on ambient noise and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, there, there's always, there's challenges in most environments. Uh, it just depends on the different types of challenges. And, and you know, historically, um, you know, we struggled when there was any noise in the environment, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm talking 10, mm. 15, 20 years ago, if there was, a, it had to be really quiet in order for the wake word to work well. Um, but we, we used, you know, different technologies of, of noise cancellation, echo cancellation or noise cancellation specifically to, to really kind of uh, enable the, the wake word engine to ignore all that extraneous noise and really focus on listening for specific word or phrase. That's the, that's the wake phrase. Um, and then we moved into a time where we were pretty good when there was background noise, but we really struggled if the device was was playing music or it was a you know uh, uh, radio or something was coming from the device. We struggled mm-hmm. with that, but adding in uh, echo cancellation really improved that scenario. Similarly, uh, you know we would have problems with very far field types of environments. People were a long ways away. There's lots of echo that then comes into any audio but utilizing things like beamforming has really uh, enabled us to, to work at, you know, pretty significant distances, 20, 30, 40 feet seem to be no problem in a lot of cases. And now we're really in the scenario where we're kind of 
combining all of those into one. <laughs> um, so, you know, you have environments where you have lots of background noise, the device is making uh, sounds of some sort, whether it's, you know, outbound TTS prompts or music or, or talk radio or, you know, anything along those lines. Um, and you, you have uh, somebody speaking to it from a long ways away and you still want it to work and we still expect it to work. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, for something like a, a drive-through food ordering experiences, as we've been doing with MasterCard, um, you, you know, and, and some of our partners, specifically White Castle, um, you, you know, there are some, some definite challenges in that. You have a, uh, an external environment um, in, uh, you know, in one scenario we're talking about, there's two drive-through lanes and, and there's, uh, you know, one lane where, um, during some of our testing, there was somebody that after they ordered, they just turned their music way back up. They they weren't concerned about everybody around them trying to order. So suddenly the music was was pumping from one side of the of the kiosk, and and there was somebody trying to order from the other side. You know, you know, realistically and reasonably, we, we've gotten to the point where there's technology that can that can really address that. And I think you know that scenario is it might even be a little bit easier than other ones because there's a there's a pretty narrow set of distance where the user might be from that microphone. You know, they're in a mm. car at a drive-through, so we know how far they are. It's different than something like a kiosk where they could be, you know, a, a, a little ways away. They could be 5, 10, 15 feet back, and there could be lots of background noise and, and things going on. You know, and, and interestingly, there's other challenges with, you know, like a near-field environment where I have my mobile phone because people tend to bring it right up to their mouth and speak directly into the microphone and oftentimes uh, speak too loud. Um, so you have to kind of uh, address the other side of that environment in that case where there's some distortion based on how close they are and how loud they are speaking to uh, to the device in order to wake it up to do something. So um, mm. I think that what we've seen, though, as I said, over the last few years, particularly, but even before that, you know, we really were starting to make lots of lots of improvements and 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 um, not just incremental improvements in, in the quality and the ability to, to, to recognize wake words, but um, but really kind of exponential improvements to to that in, in various environments. Mm, it's interesting that kiosk one because you've got you've got a lot of especially I, I always think of like restaurant ordering or fast food ordering that kind of stuff where they've got kiosks or post office want to send this mm -hmm. parcel to a certain place and the post office is probably yeah. a bit quiet but most restaurants and stuff like that are fairly you know loud sort of environments where you've got a lot of stuff going on um it's interesting. And the big thing about the big thing, sorry, just to interrupt. Oh, the big yeah, thing about the restaurants is you you have people that are saying the same thing to like multiple kiosk, or, you know, the yeah. kiosk environment. You have multiple kiosks across, and and somebody is really trying to say the same thing. So you know, there's there's the aspect of the voice assistant. But if I'm standing, you know, relatively in front of this kiosk and I say the wake word. I don't really want that kiosk to wake up. Um, you know, it, it, that, yeah. that might be. And then after I've said the wake word to continue speaking and, you know, place my order or, um, you know, check in for my flight or something along those lines, um, then it, it needs to be recognizing that I'm the one speaking to it versus somebody that's sitting at that kiosk or standing in front of that kiosk. Interesting. That's such a good point. Yeah. And especially, I mean, I know Amazon have done something with their echoes where it's, it, it can pick up or excuse me, forecast which one you're supposed to be speaking to based on which one you're closest to or whatever. But I think it's going to be more mm -hmm. important in those environments, as you say, the more we see wake, wake words exist in the real world at a train station, you're not just going to have mm -hmm. one ticket machine on its own. You're going to have a row of mm -hmm. them and yeah, differentiating between them is going to be uh, very interesting. Is that, is this critical. all, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is, is this all part of what we're discussing here as far as uh, handling background noise, you know, differentiating between different devices that are close to each other, um, all that kind of stuff, beamforming, which actually we spoke to Andrew Richards, obviously your colleague from yep. Soundhound as well, uh, all about mm-hmm. um uh, speech recognition uh, and and how it kind of works and all this kind of stuff. And he was mentioning beamforming and mic placement and stuff like that. So if, if those mm-hmm. people tuning in want to learn more about that, please do check out the one with Andrew Richards. It was absolutely immense. Um, so uh, this this conversation is this the is this the model aspect of it? Then is this still actually, part of the, the engine or is this still part of the model? Actually, in this case, there's 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 kind of multiple aspects to it. When we train the model, we can train it with specific acoustic properties for the type of device it's going into. So in order to more accurately um, recognize uh, something that's going to be in a far field environment, a smart speaker that sits in the home or, uh, you know, a a kiosk type of scenario, um, you know, those types of things, we can train the model in such a way that there is an expectation that this is a far field model or a near field model because it's going into a, a mobile application or an automotive model where we expect background noise, road noise, air conditioning noise, things like that. Um, so there's there's definitely an aspect to that of training the model in such a way that um, that we we have an understanding of what type of uh, what type of environment the the um, the wakeboard is going into. There's also device specific capabilities. So noise cancellation, echo cancellation, beam forming are um, software or hardware technologies that can be inherent on a specific device. So you know, if somebody creates a smart speaker, uh, they might in- enable. Um, or uh, you know have certain AEC ANC beamforming technology in that. Similarly, at a at a, a drive-through restaurant, when somebody has a, a microphone set up in, a, in an array, they incorporate some noise cancellation, echo cancellation, beamforming technology in order to more accurately recognize not just the wake word, but also um, everything that comes after it, whatever the user is trying to do in that in, in that specific device or product. Interesting, interesting. So. The, the the creation of the model you mentioned there you 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 get something along the lines of a hundred people or a few hundred people you get them to to say the wake word a few times each you get as much diversity in that group of people as you can based on your target market or where this thing's going to be um, f- for a lot of speech recognition uh, companies obviously you've got your own speech recognition models you'll know what it takes to train a speech recognition system quite a lot of them systems they they would say that the the more data you have the better and you know it's like you know a good few hours worth of uh content from lots of different sources thousands potentially some of them get trained constantly in fact probably most of them get trained constantly based on uh, immense kind of data how is it then that for wake word detection that doesn't sound that doesn't sound to me like to be a lot of data to in order to train one on well, what what's the difference between that form of training versus speech recognition training, which is just constantly being trained almost indefinitely over time? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it, it generally comes down to a couple of things. I mean, there there is definitely a, a concept of more data is better. So more um, samples of, of people actually speaking the weight word could improve it, but but you definitely get to a lot of diminishing returns. And so there's there's a point where the incremental improvement with more data is such that it doesn't justify additional investment to get more data. And mm-hmm. the main reason that that you have that um, that difference between kind of core speech recognition models is you know you, you because with a wake word you're really only looking for a very small set of phonetic properties. You don't have to think about 
the you know the dictionary and recognizing anything in the dictionary or even recognizing um, you know a, 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 even a rec- relatively constrained but decent size um, set of commands or something like that you know there's there's lots of different phonetics that goes into each of those and you really have to train to ensure that those don't conflict with each other or you know any number of different things and and so there's there's definitely the aspect to core speech recognition. More data is almost always better. You're always going to improve. There's constant improvements happening. When it comes to a wake word, you know, once you really get that core phonetics of the phrase and you understand, you know, okay, there, there can be variations in the ways that certain people say certain that, that phrase, your target wake phrase. Um, but you can get those, those variations by that demographic swath of, of users that actually record that initial um, that initial data. Uh, so once you get that, then then there's not really a lot else to do. You can train a little bit more for the specific environment. Um, you know, if you do have, like I said, a, a specific type of device or a specific environment where it's going, you can obviously train for those um, to improve the model somewhat for that specific market. Um, but generally speaking, it's um, once it's done you're going to get good results. It's going to be very, very good. It's not going to false accept very often. It's not going to false reject when the user, you know, actually speaks the wake phrase correctly. So, um, so there's not a lot of additional benefits to, uh, to additional data in that case. Mm, that makes sense. And if, if, a, if, a, if a brand, if a company was looking to, you know, create their own wake words, um, You've, you've you've given us a good highlight of the of the lot of the process. Is this something that Soundhound handle the entire thing from beginning to end? Like how does how does it look like if if I'm a brand brand A and I knock on your door and say, look, we're we're launching a voice assistant in our app. Uh, we really need help on the wake word front. Is it an end to end thing? How how does it actually work? In terms yeah of how, yeah how it's do? it's absolutely absolutely an end to end thing from Soundhound. So. You know, as I said, we, we can work with the brand to um, give recommendations on potential wake words. If they're thinking about various phrases or different ways that they want to say something, we can provide um, recommendations on which ones we think would work the best. Um, and then once we agree on whatever that phrase may be or that word may be, uh, we go out, we collect the data, um, we, we uh, work with the, uh, the company. Once we create the models, we, we get them to... Uh, to brand A to um, test, to work with. Um, and then, you know, we can do retraining based on additional data from the target device. If, if we think that uh, from both sides, that's going to be beneficial. Um, but yeah, we, we handle it all um, from, from uh, the first part to the end. And, and uh, uh, we have a number of customers, of our customers that, that utilize our wake word technology. Um, some of our automotive customers, as well as, you know, companies like Pandora and, and uh, Deutsche Telekom and, and others that are using our technology as well. Mm, interesting. Do do most of your customers utilize the full Soundhound stack, so wake word detection onto speech recognition, language model, that kind of stuff? Or do you have kind of like any customers who come for component parts? Yeah, yeah, we absolutely, I think most of them use the the full suite, but we definitely have customers who are only using our wake word technology or only using our, our ASR technology or, you know, don't have a wake word, but they, they have a voice assistant because they have uh, a different invoking mechanism or something along those lines. So, um, mm-hmm. so we absolutely have customers that do it that way. I do think the majority use us for the whole, st- the whole suite, um, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's an option to to take components as um, as requested or as needed. 
Mm. It's interesting because obviously o- over time, as more companies invest in conversational AI across all different channels, um, you know, from apps to call centers to what have, what have you, I think we're definitely going to see more uh, things be extended from one environment to another. Let's say, for example, mm-hmm. you have a voice assistant in your app. Perhaps you want to then put that into a vehicle or perhaps you have a voice assistant in your call center. You want to extend that into your app or, you know, there's, there's once, once a, brand has a working assistant regardless of what the technology it's been built with inevitably over time i thought it would happen a lot quicker than it actually is but i think that i don't know if you would agree that the train of the train or the trend will be that those things will be extended into new environments new channels and therefore the potential need for wake words in the kind of medium term is surely going to increase yeah, that, that's definitely our expectation too. You, you know, we, we really are seeing as companies um, acknowledge and recognize the value in a custom branded voice assistant to do something for their app or their device, or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, once they've they've kind of understood that, then they want a custom wake word that's going to um, that's going to reinforce their brand, um, and it's going to uh, you know enable customers to continue to get that, that brand loyalty and, and, and everything. Um, and, and as you said, you know, we definitely are already seeing areas where uh, these types of, uh, of voice assistants and particularly the wake words are moving, you know, across different uh, types of devices. So, you know, we have automotive partners who have voice assistants in their vehicle. They also want to enable voice assistants in a companion app. Um, so I can, you know, check the status of my vehicle while I'm uh, in the living room, how much gas do I have, or what's my current charge, you know, things like that. Um, and, and enabling that, you know, similarly in food ordering, maybe you'll have it as a, uh, in a, a drive-through experience, but you'll also want it in a kiosk. You'll also want it in the mobile app. You might also want it on a phone call um, that will all kind of have that same uh, capability delivered across various uh, products or services or products or devices. And it's going to be critical to have that voice assistant uh, and that wake word that, it, that invokes that voice assistant across any number of different pro- different types of devices. Hmm, interesting. Um, one of the things that um, I think there's a lack of understanding on, broadly speaking, apart from those who've worked really in depth on this stuff. <clears throat> like I always use the example of the BBC, you know, using the Microsoft stack, they've kind of built their own, uh, I don't know if they've actually released their own wake word, but um, they've definitely built their, their, a lot of, not proprietary, but it's because it's built with Microsoft a lot of it, but they've definitely got a lot of experience in actually building up this technology. Mm-hmm. Some companies and most organizations, I would argue, are a lot earlier in their journey than that. And, you know, there's a there's a couple of core things that you will find that are, that are becoming more accessible, like NLU systems becoming more accessible, like uh, mm-hmm. speech recognition becoming more accessible, you know, dialogue managers, usually part of an NLU system, but it's becoming a lot more kind of like uh, separate kind of dialogue managers that we're seeing. Um and so there's component parts that are kind of like crucial to making things work that some companies are starting to get their head around. The mm-hmm. two bits, I suppose, on either end of that, that I'm seeing uh, slightly less, but I think forecasted more over time, is the um, 
the speech to text on the back end. So mm-hmm. right now you can use a standard speech to text or you can create your own custom branded voice. I think we'll see a lot more of that in future, but we're not seeing a tremendous amount of that now. Um, mm-hmm. And also wake word detection on the very front end. Again, I think we're going to mm-hmm. see a lot more of that in future, but we're not seeing a terrible amount now. On the on the on the customized voice side, for mm-hmm. a while, I know that it's it's coming down because you've got um, you know, I forget the name of the company that we had on the show. Um, It'll come back to me. Essentially, there's there's a lot of speed. There's a lot of um, you know, uh, read speaker one of them, but this one in particular, um, I can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head. Anyway, it's a platform that basically you record 20 minutes of audio and it'll create you a synthetic voice. Basically, yeah. what I'm kind of, what I'm kind of getting to is that there is there is tools and technologies that are beginning to democratize that side of things. Mm-hmm. Quality wise, inevitably, you still need a hell of a lot more data to make it any good, but you can at yeah. least trial it with a smaller amount of data. Because on that mm-hmm. side, the custom brand voice side, I think there's a perception that it can be quite cost prohibitive unless you're operating at an immense scale. And I can mm-hmm. imagine a lot of brands, I mean, if you look at Pandora, if you look at MasterCard, you know, a lot of your clients are like large. I know you were working with Mercedes, I believe, at, at one mm-hmm. point in the US. Yeah. A lot of your clients yeah. are, it's the big enterprise clients, you know, it's, it's millions of customers, it's immense scale. And so the, the, almost it doesn't really matter cost-wise to them in many instances because they believe in the vision for the future of customer engagement and they're kind of going to do it. I, I, I suspect that there's a question from the mid-market around, and I don't want, I don't want you to reveal the costs, obviously you're not going to do that, but the, 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 the point, I suppose, or the question is, I, I, I can envisage a, um, a, a, a kind of, uh, maybe it's a false perception or maybe it's a right perception, that it can be cost prohibitive to create wake word detection as it is or has been traditionally for the synthetic voice side of things. Is it, an, it sounds like an intense process and there's obviously tremendous value in doing so. Is it such a process that's reserved for those top flight, large enterprise scale customers? Or is it feasible, you know, for a more kind of mid-market company to be seriously considering this kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely and clearly feasible for a, a smaller to mid-market type of company to to create their own wake word, to work with us to create that wake word. Um it's not such that it's so cost prohibitive that um, that it uh, um, you know only renders it available for the largest of the large or anything like that. Um, there is cost involved. There is because there's effort involved. There's lots of um, investment that needs to happen both in terms of getting the data that we would use to to train the wake word, but also investment of of our you know human capital to to actually um, do the engineering work to create it. Um, but that being said, I, I think that the other advantage, and it, it, it kind of goes to what we were talking about a little bit before, is that you know once you create working with SoundOn, once you create the wake word model, then that can be deployed across any type of device. So you can use that the engine on an iOS phone, on an Android phone, on a Linux device, on a uh, you know a, a Windows device, uh, any number of different areas. That same model can be deployed across those without having to go back and retrain or do something different, invest in another model development or anything along those lines. They can be deployed across anything. Um, and you could then have that ability to reach those customers with your voice assistant, you know, any number of different ways. And it's also a, little, a lot of how we've developed the Houndify platform, you know, taking a, a step to the side of wake words, you know, we've enabled the platform as an open developer platform. So users can, uh, you know, uh, create an account, sign up, 
log in and they can deploy a, a custom voice assistant utilizing uh, a number of our uh, online and web-based tools without necessarily ever having to come talk to somebody like me. Um, to do the wake word, that's a, that's a little bit more of a, a process that in, involves working with our team because uh, you know we need to go get that data. We need to give feedback on that, that wake phrase that you use. Um, but generally speaking, we want to enable you know, a broad, broad swath of customers to have their own custom voice assistance for any type of product or device. You know, we've talked about all sorts of, of areas that, that we think, you know, might be coming when it comes to like food ordering and kiosks. But, you know, there's also been videos of elevators and uh, convention centers, conference rooms, enter enterprise, you know, uh, office buildings, you know, all sorts of different areas. Uh, um, you know, in, in airplanes and <laughs> everywhere else that you can think of, you know, people are going to want to talk to their device in order to get things done. Um, and as I mentioned before, you know, particularly in a post-COVID world where people are much more reluctant to, to touch buttons and to, uh, to go to environments where lots of different people might have touched this screen or something along those lines, you know, having the ability to wake it up using a wake word and then speak to it to do whatever you're trying to do um, is going to be continuing to, to increase in value and, and uh, increase in usage across, you know, all these different types of products and services. Mm -hmm. Interesting. One one uh, final question before we wrap up. Where <clears throat> we've mentioned a lot of different areas where this stuff can be applied. We've mentioned mm -hmm. you were talking about airlines there. <clears throat> excuse me, conference halls, elevators. You know, any any device basically. Mobile apps. We've talked about cars. You know, train ticket machines, uh, ordering kiosks. A whole bunch of places where where voice assistants coupled with wakeword technology uh, have a place and can provide value. From your perspective. Where do you think is either the next area uh, or current area that we're going to see more growth in or next area that you think is, is ripe for kind of expansion or just somewhere where you would generally like to see more kind of activity around wakeword detection and, and custom voice assistance? Where, where would that kind of area be? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the area that seems to be one of the hottest right now. We've talked about it a little bit on the food ordering side and, and the restaurants. You've seen a lot of restaurants make recent announcements about investment in voice technology. And, and it's really interesting. One of the things that we're finding is, is this, it, it, you know, I think there's a little bit of this perception that it's because these, you know, uh, quick service restaurants want to replace all of the employees that work at the store and they want it to all be automated. And, and the reality is that, you know, based on a lot of different factors, a lot of these restaurants are having trouble finding employees. They have, you know, open help wanted signs trying to get um, people to come in and work at these, at these restaurants and they're struggling to find people. So they're actually looking at this as a way to, augment labor shortage problems that they're having finding people to work at the stores. And it seems like that's really become an area that you've seen customers just, I mean, seen companies dramatically increase their investment. Like I said, there's been a number of announcements recently. We obviously have a partnership that, that we've announced, but there's been other announcements with, with competitors of ours and, and other brands that are um, doing their own investments in, in uh, voice assistant technology and, and coupled with wake words, obviously in all of these cases. And, and I think that, I think that's one area that, that, you know, you really will see, continued um, significant investment and a real, a, a real shift in terms of uh, the usage patterns of the end consumers. There, there will be an acceptance of wake words 
uh, and voice assistants in quick service restaurants that will be coming um, and, and continue to, to increase over the, the near term and, and definitely over the medium term for sure. Nice one. Well, Darren, I really appreciate this. It's mean, I told you at the beginning that I kind of going to feel as though I know absolutely nothing. And I kind of was going through that as I was thinking of these questions as we were going through. But I do feel as though I have learned a hell of a lot today about the, the ins and outs of wake word detection. Um, and so where if people are looking for uh, ways of exploring, you know, their own wake word kind of journey, and, and they want to sort of, uh, you know, find out a little bit more about how they can work with you, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, soundhound.com. Um, there's a section on our website for wake words, and uh, there's a there's a form that you can fill out to to get information on it from um, uh, from our business development team. Uh, you you can also go to to Darren at soundhound.com if you want to email me directly or look me up on LinkedIn at D- Darren Clark. Um, I'll be glad to to respond and um, you know point you in the right direction if it's one of my colleagues based on location or any of those types of things. Um, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd be, I'd be glad to. Uh, to get more information and, and uh, we'd love to, to talk to, to anybody who's interested in looking at their own custom wake word for any type of device or product. Perfect. Darren, this has been absolutely unbelievable. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Kane. I appreciate it. Nice one. And thank you everyone for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we're going to take a break next week because I'm having a long overdue break. Uh, I'm going to go <laughs> into the middle of nowhere <laughs> to stay in a cottage for a week. Um, and we'll be back the week after. I think the week after that, we've got 24-7 AI on the show uh, discussing uh, conversation design in the enterprise. And we've also got Symbol AI on the show as well, uh, who just literally raised $17 million in funding this week so we're going to get into some of that conversation which is going to be good so uh, we will see you all there Darren thank you so much for joining us again all of those links will be in the show notes as always and uh, yeah it's been a pleasure thanks Kane cheers <laughs>